0: What up world? Past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. you're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Got a fun show for you today. I want to talk about Yusuf Nurkic, who looks better in his last two games. Speaking of last two games, it's been two games since I last spoke to you. I want to talk about if we learned anything from the Blazers' bad loss to the Bulls, an easy win over the Timberwolves. And finally, I want to close out the show with some welcome backs. Nazir Little got back on the court against Minnesota, and Rodney Hood also returned in that game. Obviously, two different flavors of welcome backs, but important returns to the court for two different Blazer wings. Let us start here with Yusuf Nurkic, though. Nurk hasn't been good this year. Let's let's put that one out there right right now. He has... He has, for the most part, I would say up until this week, been pretty consistently the Blazers' second-best center. I know he had a really nice close to the game against the Lakers, the Blazers' signature win on the season so far, but he was their second-best center up until the final three minutes. He just was really good in the final three minutes. I guess you could say playing well at winning time is the whole point, and I might agree with you, but the other 45 minutes still count. But the larger point here is that Yusuf Nurkic has looked better over the last two games against the Chicago Bulls, a game the Blazers lost, and we'll talk about that more in the second segment. He had 12, 11, and 6 assists. He didn't shoot well from the floor, 6 or 15, and then this wasn't one of those games where you're like, oh, he looks really good. But it was the first time that you could kind of, if you weren't banging the drum and saying, hey, you know, Nurk's back, you... uh, if you watch the game, you could tell that he looks more comfortable. He looked, he was a little more patient. He was just a little a little better on offense. A little bit his decision making was way better. I think one of the things that um has been his issue is just is just bad decision making. Uh it's been a thing that's sort of always been a trouble in his career is that he rushes himself and, and, and gets into decides what he's gonna do before he has room, space, and time to do it. Uh, I guess room and space are the same thing, y'all, but <laughs> he's a big guy, so he needs both room and space in any case it's it's just it's bad decision making, whether it's running someone over in the post or or traveling or or flipping up a shot because he doesn't give himself that that time to like really get his feet under him and put up a shot with a good base or or throwing a pass that is a right idea but not in the wrong isn't at good timing or is in the wrong spots um, or just forcing a pass because he's already decided what he's going to do. It's you, you've seen it. You if you've watched Nurk, you know that his decision making is often sort of the thing that you that you realize first. Uh, it's it's not usually an effort thing with him. It's just just um it's kind of just like a a mental lapses when you're like oh man what nerk why why, why'd you do that so he played pretty well against the bulls i think there's no denying it uh and then against the t wolves plays best game of the season no other way to put it 17 points seven seven boards two assists 23 minutes there was a stretch in the third quarter i believe where he dunked on three consecutive possessions excuse me the second quarter uh Y'all, use of Nurkic dunking is a big deal. It's a thing that um, uh, others in the Blazers media space have screamed from the rooftops. Uh, please dunk it. I maybe haven't been that adamant of the please dunk it, but yeah, it's, I think it's better when he dunks. Um, the the T-Wolves stink. Uh, they're we'll talk about them more in the second segment too. But uh, I'm not sure other teams give you three straight chances to dunk the ball on a basic pick and roll plays. Uh, but it was good to see Nurk dominate a bad team that is the job right uh beating bad teams is the name of the game that's how you get where you need to go so it was good to see nurk do that but more more importantly if you've listened to this podcast in past episodes uh even just if if you're relatively new to this season i'm sure you've heard me say this but i'll say it again for new listeners or for those of you who maybe don't take meticulous notes on my verbiage yusuf nurk had showed up to camp out of shape and. The there were some questions about why would he do this blah 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 the um you know is this professionalism what's going on and and what I had chose to say at the time and and I I meant it then and I mean it now is that Nurk the human and the things that Nurk the human had to deal with in Bosnia got in the way of Nurk the basketball player. You, if you're listening to this podcast, you have things you have you have human f- familial or just uh, human experiences that it, that can interrupt your work life and uh, your work. I'm going to guess is a little less physically demanding than Nurk's. So it just I, I've been saying it's, it, it just seemed like Nurk the human got in the way of Nurk the basketball player because Nurk the human had stuff to deal with. And after the game last night, he spoke at length as just saying like, "Yo, I am human." And I'm still dealing with this stuff. He declined to go in on the specifics of what um, what exactly he's dealing with, which is his right. We certainly don't need to know the specifics of his family issues, but it's still something that's weighing on him and something he has to deal with. And I think while he deserves our grace for just having to deal with um, things in his family that are uh, that are difficult for him to deal with on the backdrop of all of the rest of the world, I don't know if y'all have been watching the news, but that that those things are going to be difficult and I'm not ex- sort of excusing away like okay you know he's allowed to play poorly because he's having this difficult you know uh m- these difficult per- interpersonal problems I'm just saying it, these guys are human it happens it happens you'd like um all of your favorite players to have these peachy lives or to be able to sort of like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant compartmentalize trauma and, and, and play excellent, but not everyone is capable of that. And I think you, you just have to give them grace or you, or you don't. I mean, you can just tweet mean things at them. I don't, I don't care what you do. I just think, for me, it's better to root for humans and think about um, basketball players as humans because they are indeed people who live full lives outside of the court. I'm not sure that I, I'm, I'm, I'm framing this exactly how I'd like to. I don't mean to frame it as an excuse. I mean to explain, I mean to frame it as an explanation. Um... Sometimes things are hard for guys that we don't know. Nurk is more upfront about what he's dealing with than many other NBA players, so he gives us this sort of insight. You know, he said he showed up to camp seventy in seventy percent shape. Now he says he's doing a lot better physically, but he's still having to deal with these um, with some with some troubles that are weighing on his mind. And I think. Um, you see him, as he gets better physically, look much more like Nurk of the past, um, And but I don't think that it's sort of like snap your fingers, and if he plays well at basketball, he'll, he'll have put these personal troubles behind him. Uh, I think the sort of graph for his basketball production is headed in the right direction, but I just—I think it's more fun to root for people that are— um, you know, people and characters that are fully formed, that have multiple dimensions, that are, that are not simply, um, you know, 300 pound pick and roll players, but are, you know, humans with emotions and families and things like that. So you are allowed to be frustrated with Nurk's play. Um, he hasn't been good, but you, I, I implore you to think of, um, all of the times maybe you haven't done your best job at work because something else has been weighing on you and give nurk some grace uh you can choose to react however you like of course the basketball thing is that the blazers can't be good without nurk being good and nurk has looked better <laughs> they lost one of those games pretty badly and it was their worst loss of the season but then they you know he looked a lot better against a bad team and um and 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 they rolled uh, i don't there's there is no formula, and I talked about this in the most recent podcast that I posted on Wednesday with Dave DeFore. There's no formula for the Blazers being good that doesn't include Yusuf Nurkic. Sorry. Apologies to Anna Scantor and Harry Giles, but there's no formula that does that. There is no, if the Blazers get where you think they might go at their peak, you know, if you think this is a team that can get to the Western Conference finals and challenge for a spot in the finals or even win the championship, if you're, if whatever, whatever you think their peak is, there is no version of that peak that doesn't include Yusuf Nurkic playing well. But he looks—he's looked better. I mean, there's, it's undeniable. He looked better, so he—he seems to—he appears to be headed in the right direction. But the idea that um, you know a couple good games sort of fixes all of uh, the three-dimensional, even four-dimensional uh, ails that um, that humans have to deal with is, uh, is short-sighted. It's just—it's not how it works. He'll have some bad games, and hopefully, he's headed towards you know more good games, less bad games in that direction because the Blazers need him to be good. Speaking of those games, this is what I want to talk about in the second segment. Do we learn anything from the Blazers' bad loss to the Chicago Bulls and the win over the Minnesota Timberwolves? Maybe. Let's talk about it in the second segment. But first, I want to tell y'all about betonline.ag. The NFL playoffs, they start tomorrow. <laughs> Depending on when you're listening to this, it's coming out Friday. They start today if you're listening to it on the weekend, or you've already missed it. Oh no, you've missed a couple of playoff, NFL playoff games. Quick, quick, get to your TV. In any case. There's only one place you can go if you want to bet on the NFL playoffs or the NBA regular season that's in full swing. Blazers place where you play every other day until March. Let's go. It's betonline.ag, the only place that's got you covered and the only place we trust. So sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. Look, like I said, the, the games are happening. So every night you can get in on the action. You don't have to sit on, sit on the sidelines anymore. So go to betonline.ag. Don't forget to use that promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right. So we talked to Yusuf Nurga. She looks better. I don't know if I'm ready to say Yusuf Nurkic back in all caps, but uh, he looks he he looks better, and that's that's the important that's going to be really important for the Blazers. But he looked he looked better in two games. He actually those, those are two real life basketball games, and I want to talk about those two here and just answer the question: Did we learn anything from the Blazers' bad loss to the Chicago Bulls and 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 dominant win over a bad Timberwolves team? Uh, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. I'm really happy to have you. This is not a place where you are going to find traditional moment after, day after recaps. If we had recapped the Chicago Bulls game, we would have had to light our pitchforks on fire and storm Terry Stotts' home and fire him immediately. If we had recapped just the T-Wolves game, you would have thought the place was one of the most dominant NBA teams in the league. They're They're somewhere between those two results. I imagine there is somewhere on the blazers podcast internet space that does recaps of games and i i encourage you to seek them out i don't know that to be true but i'm just i'm expecting that the marketplace provides for those of you who need that but you're not going to find that here and i don't mean that to like um in a hoity-toity way i just mean like that's that's not how i approach thinking about the nba season so that's not what i'm going to do in this space i just want to be clear about that there's 70 games there's ebbs and flows uh you you kind of take the ups with the downs and um Try, try not to crazily overreact because that makes for less interesting thoughts about a team and about games that just keep on coming. The Blazers play again on Saturday night. Uh, by the time you listen to this, they might have already played that game. Two, two full games removed from a nightmare against Chicago. But that said, I think that Bulls game was much more instructive than the Wolves blowout. I will give you... The Cliff Notes version of a recap, as opposed to the full quarter-by-quarter action here. And it's that the Blazers, led by 20 against Chicago, had a terrible second quarter in which they only scored 15 points, only led by 10 at halftime. Bulls hung around and ended up winning the game in the fourth quarter. Blazers' offense stagnated a little bit down the stretch, but quite frankly, I think it's overblown how bad the offense was at the end of the game against Chicago. If CJ McCollum steps into three, he had three, count them, three wide-open three-pointers, he On the season, CJ McCollum is shooting 47% on threes after taking at least three dribbles dude makes like half of those shots if he makes one of those three the Blazers are in a much better spot they probably hold on when they don't I do think they like I do think when people say they got a little bit three-point happy or they they lived on the three I know that was like sort of the conversation in the post um interviews all the interviews happen on zoom so I like hear every single one right now um, now that was the sort of the line of questioning from several reporters on zoom and um, I think specifically Robert Covington took threes that he shouldn't have taken but I don't I, other than that, I'm, I'm, the offense isn't a worry. The defense sucked. And the most important thing in that game was that the, that came out of that game was that the Blazers and Terry Stotts did something he rarely does, and he said that his team didn't play hard enough. It was the type of criticism they probably needed to hear publicly. Um, he's not really like a rah-rah guy. He does his fair share of yelling, but he's not like a big-time screamer. Um, in many ways, the team mirrors, and and Stotts, I think, has adopted some of this, mirrors Damian Lode's personality. And he's not a guy who overreacts, who freaks out. Dame is like, The thing you probably like about Dame is when things are darkest, he remains incredibly confident. And I think the team and the coaching staff, to some extent, tries to reflect the demeanor of the franchise player. But that was the Blazers' worst loss of the season, regardless of whose demeanor they were reflecting in the the postgame locker room. You you're up by 20 against a a Bulls a bad Bulls team. I don't think that's a playoff team in the East. They might they might get in the play-in tournament, but they're not very good, and they were missing some guys. You you get up by 20, you need to put that team away. Uh, it's just uh, it was I believe it was the first team this season uh, in the the strange blowout heavy season we've had at, to begin the NBA year that has not put a team away after getting a 20-point lead. It was just a really bad loss. Really bad loss. And it caused all of the sort of normal criticisms that Terry Stotts never adjusts and the defense sucks and get him the hell out of here and get everyone out of here, fire everyone, trade CJ, where's James Harden? I actually think that that's a rational way to be a fan. It, like, being irrational is a rational way to be a fan. I totally accept it. But... Um, the Blazers bounce back against one of the worst teams in the NBA, maybe the worst team in the NBA without Carl Anthony Towns. I'm gonna say it; they're the worst team in the NBA without Carl Anthony Towns, and they rolled over the Timberwolves. So then it's like, this is why I didn't want, you know, I don't want to do individual recaps of these games because if if the Bulls is the is the nadir, if the Bulls is the bottom, then it's like, oh, they're good again. They beat the T-Wolves. They're awesome. Dame had thirty nine and three quarters. So. I I think you can just say good response to the T-Wolves game. We're not going to go into—I even gave you more recap on the Bulls game than I wanted to, but uh, we're not going to go in-depth on that. Nurk looked better. Dame was awesome. They rolled over a bad team. Good stuff. The Blazers also made some shots particularly early, but I think the most notable thing in this game was that Damian Lode was really aggressive for the first time all year. Uh, there's been some talk about him maybe being intentionally passive and in trying to set guys up, and I think there's some truth to that. I maybe don't buy it all the way. I think some of the times that, the, that people have pointed to Dame being um, p- being passive or trying to get guys involved, he's just been making the right play, and his teammates have let him down. But this was the first game you know, at 26 in the first quarter uh, he, where he was just like, cool, I'm going to make sure we don't lose. Uh, this was Dame after maybe being a little bit patient for the first seven games of the season saying no more patience. I'm going to show how good I am and I'm going to just dominate this team. But why I say the Bulls game is maybe more instructive than the Wolves game? One, the Wolves suck. It doesn't like it's only meaningful when you lose to a bad team in the NBA, When you when you take care of business, and that's what this was. It was a game that you the Blazers just absolutely took care of business against a bad team. Then good stuff. But there's you can't read into it like um, the off- what the offense did, and it looked better, and the ball moved, and all this. Eh, who cares? Um, Wolves defense stinks. The you know defense was a little more little more effective, but it wasn't really good. But uh, again i'm i no reason to read into it but the the bulls game is more instructive because it shows that the blazers are sort of capable of rolling up on sort of the mediocre teams in the league but not good enough to easily let their foot off the gas and put them away this is it showed their weaknesses and it showed in in some ways their their character after the game while the media and many fans were kind of freaking out the offense sucks and all this the, neither dame nor cj spoke about the offense they weren't worried about it blazers took 51 threes. who cares they were worried about the effort level. And I think that sort of speaks to where the team is at. I think that's more interesting than the the pitchfork crowd is that the Blazers felt like they, that they, to uh, to quote Nate McMillan, former Blazers coach, said they effed with the game. And when you eff with the game, the game will eff you. The Bulls game showed the Blazers are still very obviously imperfect. Uh, I do think if CJ makes Two of those walk-in three-pointers he had and they win. They still would have been imperfect. I know it's a results-based business, but um, the the loss maybe stings louder, sings louder, all those things. Um, stings harder, sings louder, rather. And here's, here's, what, here's what it means for the Blazers moving forward. Is that they have a lot of games that are kind of like the Bulls games on their schedule, right? Like they play a lot of okay teams. They, they have a relative... This is the softest part of their schedule. We haven't seen the second half of their schedule, so I don't know. It might be soft again in the future, but... Games against the Kings, a home game against the scuffling Raptors, uh, um, another game in Sacramento. They play a, a good Pacers team and a good Hawks team that, and a Spurs team that just beat the Lakers twice, so those are going to be tough. They play the Grizzlies twice at home at the end of January. That team's missing Jaron Jackson Jr. and maybe still be missing John Morant. That's not a good basketball team. They play the surprising Knicks, who might not be the surprising Knicks. and might just be a kind of a bad team by then. They play the Thunder, who's projected to be one of the worst teams in the West to close January. And then at houston and at these bulls again to close out um to close out the the month this is these are winnable games so what i think maybe the most instructive thing about the bulls game is like all of these winnable games ahead on the schedule you can't f with them you cannot play kind of hard for a half you cannot have you cannot have a dominant first quarter and get up by 20 and beat a team I think the Bulls game gives you the gives the Blazers a little wake-up call that they are not good enough to do that. They got to, even against the teams that are mediocre or have a little less talent than them, they are not by any means good enough to win a game in eight minutes. There are some great teams who have been capable of doing that. Shout out to the Warriors. But they this is not that. And I think the Bulls game is a reminder that the Blazers are vulnerable and need to respect the game and play hard. I mean, I... When Terry Stotts says that they didn't play hard, he means that they loafed like hell. He's not—he is not publicly critical. So, to me, um, the Bulls game becomes this sort of the test: Can they learn the lessons from that—that that awful loss, their worst loss of the season to Chicago—and take it forward into a softer schedule the rest of January and not have any more clunkers? All right, let's come back in the third segment and celebrate some comebacks. On Thursday evening, Nazir Little played his first game in a Blazer uniform in nearly a year. It was a wonderful sight to see. I want to talk about that in the third segment. Still a pass, first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. And you're still listening to Locked On Blazers. If you like this show, I bet you like Locked On NBA. It's the network's overarching show that looks at the whole league. And on Fridays in Locked On NBA, you'll get Anthony Irwin of Locked On Lakers and Adam Mares of Locked On Nuggets for a wrap around the biggest stories in the league. Anthony and Adam bring you game recaps, weekend previews, and a weekly NBA power ranking show that you cannot miss. So subscribe to Locked On NBA podcast today, wherever you already get podcasts. All right, we talked about use of Nurkic looking better who talked about the Blazers with a bad loss and an easy win and why the bad loss was much more instructive and much more meaningful for them. But now it's time to celebrate some returns. Welcome back Nazir Little, who played for his first time since March 10, 2020, the pre-hiatus game against the uh, Phoenix Suns. Nas came back in and played the final eight minutes of the game. And we're going to read the box score. Two points on one of one shooting, one rebound, one block, one turnover. And committed a foul when he was, if you're into this kind of thing, he was minus six in his eight minutes. Boy, howdy, does plus minus not mean anything in garbage time. But, you know, it's in the box score, so I'll read it, to y'all. Uh, th- this had nothing to do with the way Nas played. Um, you know, he had his one bucket was a behind-the-back, step-back mid-range fader. Uh, he's kind of been flirting with that move, even when he was uh, at Carolina. Uh, it, it. I guess it's cool if he adds that sort of 15-foot, um touch to his range, but th- that's a hard shot. <laughs> so I'm glad he made it. It looked really smooth when he hit it too, but that's not that's not easy to do. He also had a huge block at the end of the game after he uh he was a little frustrated and he blocked the shot in like the closing seconds of an eighteen point blowout. Good for him i think um I think even Damien Lloyd was laughing after D- I- Nas, like just got up there and blocked the hell out of it. But this this wasn't about performance. Like I read you the box score, more mostly like tongue in cheek. This wasn't about what he did statistically or anything like that. This was about a dude getting back to doing what he loves. Uh, probably earlier than what we had thought when Nazir Little spoke with uh, Jason Quick of the Athletic maybe ten days ago. He said he was he was weeks away, probably from playing from coming back to play basketball. And then two nights later, less than thirty six hours later, he was he was put on the active list for the first time of the season. And then he, you know, after two games in the active list, he got into a game. Uh, It's, it's, Cool. Uh, I think that there was a mental hurdle for Nas. I feel like in the bubble, at least according to what he told Jason Quick of the Athletic, is that he felt like he came, uh, he came back too fast from concussion protocol after he had a, a scary fall in practice and was concussed, and that he, it caused him to to faint and have a, another sort of scary moment at practice. And he felt like he maybe rushed himself back a little bit because he really wanted to play, he compressed, um, you know, training camp heading into the bubble and all those things, and you know that put him in a in this, p- this position where he missed all the bubble games and didn't get to play, and so. So then he contracted COVID in the first week of December and had a really, really tough bout with it. Uh, just it, 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 it is a serious disease and it impacted him a, a great deal. And he was really sick. He lost a bunch of weight. Couldn't, you know, couldn't play, couldn't be around the team for three weeks, and then was slowly kind of ramping back up into shape. And I think there was a mental hurdle of being like, am I ready? Like, can I get back on the court? Obviously, there's some medical concerns that we probably don't even know about with guys who've contracted COVID and getting back out on the court. And I think that certainly plays into the psyche of anyone trying to make these decisions. So I'm glad that Nas was able to, to sort of get this one behind him, play eight minutes of NBA basketball, and say, I'm ready. I don't think he's going to be part of the rotation like – I don't know how he's going to be part of the regular rotation when when the group is whole, but um, it is really going to be useful for the Blazers to have another guy who can play a little bit of three or a little bit of power forward and is really athletic, and if you need, you know, 11 minutes of NBA basketball from someone on the bench who's that size and that position, you can go get it now. Uh, I think he gives you an option at the four. You know, a lot of people saying, put Harry Giles in, mellows minutes. I think that Nas maybe gives you a better option at the four than than Giles does. Um, Not to say that Nas is like definitely a better player. They're, they're different. Giles is better at at different things, but um, Giles probably is more of a five, um, even if he's um, not exactly center shaped, regardless of now I'm getting in the weeds, thinking about guys positions, but regardless of that, uh, it's it'll be nice for the Blazers to have Nas back. It'll be nice for nice for him mentally just to be back on the court, but nice for the team, basketball wise, to have another option on the bench. Uh, he'll be you know he'll be active and available every game, even if he doesn't play. So it's it welcome back Nas. It is you gotta root for a guy who has who has. Uh, spent that much time away, you know, basically 10 months out of basketball. It's a long, long, long road back. Um, for someone who just had a lot of strange and pretty scary health problems, um, I, I, I'm rooting for a guy like that, regardless of where he went to college for eight months. I'm rooting for anyone to come back. Speaking of guys who went to college in uh, central North Carolina, Rodney Hood also returned against... The Minnesota Timberwolves, Rodney, he missed a couple games with a quad injury. The Blazers are better with Rodney Hood on the court, no doubt about it. Um, with all due respect to Anthony Simons, who has looked like a much better NBA player this season. Just he looks, he can contribute. Hood's, Hood is a better Hood's a better option just because of his size, I think, and his um, willingness to kind of play team concept and pass quickly. Not, I think Ant, Ant can get there, but um, he still has to sort of process that in real time where, where Rodney just has a better sort of natural feel for that. I just think the second unit is better with Rodney Hood on it. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of been secretly saying maybe Rodney Hood should start and they should move Derek Jones to the second unit, but I don't I don't believe that wholeheartedly. I just think, like, if you're looking for a solution, that's one I would try. He can really shoot it. He has flashes each game where you're like, oh, yeah, I remember he was, like, a really competent, solid NBA player or really just, like, a, a guy who can contribute offensively. He's not all the way back yet, but getting get hood out there get him play more minutes the blazers will be better for it um, they're just just in general they'll be better for having more guys having Nazir Little available having Harry Giles available having Rodney Hood available having Ant available those guys at the back end of the rotation having those options is um has real value uh, I, it's it- <laughs> It's not easy for Terry because he's I think he's still trying to figure out who plays and when the um, the only thing a coach does during an NBA game is decide who's on the floor and when that's kind of like a joke, but it's one that I believe uh, having more guys add to the add to the tough decisions Terry has to make. But that's the job dog. Go ahead and do it. So welcome back, Nas. Really happy to see him back on the court. Welcome back, Rodney. You know, you didn't miss as much time, but you're still. But Roddy's still working his way back from the, you know, the Achilles injury and all those things. And the more minutes he's on the floor, the better he looks. He looks, you know, he just looks better every time he plays. So get him out on the court and let him play, so he can continue to look better and continue to help the Blazers. Blazers play over the weekend. They play against the Sacramento Kings. Then they're back in Portland on Monday night to face the scuffling Toronto Raptors. We will have podcasts. I will have podcasts. the Royal We, that's a collective pronoun for those of you scoring at home. Uh, we'll have podcast after those games. Look for Monday's uh, Monday show after the after the Kings game. Also, Mailbag Mondays coming to you. We record on Monday evenings it's our weekly mailbag segment. If you want to get involved, just email the show, LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com, or tweet at me at MikeGRich on Twitter. I'll get I'll see your question and I'll get you in the show. Do me a favor and tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts you can just search Lockdown Blazers and you'll find the show right there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.